Hey everyone, it's Harry, back with another episode of Alston Pudding Presents The Podcast. We are reaching the end of May. It's the last day of May, the 31st. I had a wonderful birthday. Not that you asked, but I did. Uh, our guest this week is Perennial, a uh, punk band based in Western Mass in Connecticut. Ben joins me in the co-host seat. We were off our game this night, Ben and I. First off, I asked the band if they're from Providence because that's where I thought they were from because that's what Ben told me. So I'm going to blame Ben. I also, when I'm introducing them, I said I, their name is Perennial. I called them Perenny. You can hear this in the episode. I didn't fix that in post. Their name is Perennial and not Perenny. That's a simple slip of the tongue uh, and not uh, due to bad research. <laughs> but thank you so much to, uh, to <laughs> Perennial for for bearing with our <laughs> lackluster journalism. <laughs> anyway, um, it's a great episode. They're a great band. Yeah, let's get to it. Hello. Another episode. Hello. Deep into season three of the podcast, the Austin Pudding presents the podcast is that I've been calling it the full title as often as possible because I found out there's another show called the podcast, which is like vaguely like motivational Christian religious stuff. I'm like, I want to avoid any potential lawsuit down the line with the guy making the show. Anyway, I am Harry. I'm joined today by Ben, who listeners will know has been joining for hosting duties hello this season and our guests this week are chad and chelsea from perennial uh and you you guys are based Ah. uh in like providence right uh so we're actually based in uh central connecticut and western mass for some reason i thought providence not sure why i might have i might be i might have confused that with another band that made our uh album of the year list at the end of the year <laughs> i i also thought you were from providence what's with this rumor going around that you're from providence all right then started, I, got, uh, I probably got it from ben i got it from ben i definitely started that i'm so sorry it's okay we um, did issue we, a correction in the in the paper of record alsonpudding.com we should yeah no i mean providence is a great place so it's it's not like uh we we don't want to be from there but we're not from there. <laughs> <laughs> No shade to Providence, but Ooh, off to a great start right off the bat. <laughs> so y'all are from Norway, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Wait, I, where were you were both born in Norway? <laughs> <laughs> Let's is just that, make that up a real? lot of places. We're from everywhere. No, we're all we're all, we're all originally from uh, we're all originally from Western Mass. Okay. Uh, nice. Why did I? Why did I really believe you were from Norway? Maybe you just have that look about you. That was. I was just <laughs> going with the bit, Ben. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> he's he's got a lot. He's got a I'm lot. New. To I'm new. <laughs> it was it was that comedy thing where you keep elevating the premise. Yeah, yeah it's called okay. Yes and Harry. <laughs> Learn it. Well, yeah, I mean, first I just want to say thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Uh, both of you. Um, Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Yeah, you guys are the most like the most fun live bad enough any of our listeners have ever caught a perennial show but man they are lucky folk um you guys have the most like incredible uh uh like live presence i've i've ever seen in like like a local band um and truly like yeah when i when i first saw you i was 
I had no idea what to expect with with what with the the organ and the electric guitar and the drum kit. I was like, okay, what is is this like a Doors kind of cover band situation? I think I actually asked you, Chelsea, when I first met you about mm-hmm. if you have a Doors a Doors influence. I think I remember that. I roundly like, oh. roundly rejected. <laughs> You're like absolutely not. No Doors. No Doors president perennial. Oh. <laughs> Uh, it's definitely not, um, a major influence for sure. I might, no, not really at all, but it's okay. Zero percent. (laughs) Zero percent. Um, thank you. That was, that's very nice of you. Um, and we hope that folks have, have had a chance to find us. Uh, if not, please come out to a show. It's our favorite thing to do. And I hope that translates. I think it translates. You, you guys are playing uh, a show in my hometown venue of the space in Hamden, Connecticut. Have you played there before? Um, yes. Yeah. So we played the space ballroom, uh, probably about a half dozen times mm-hmm. at this point, mm-hmm. somewhere in that, in that ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very cool room. Yeah. How do you find the town? Uh, well, they probably, they probably use know. like yeah. Google maps or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, that's that's this right here is where you're gonna want to right here is where you're gonna want to put in a little like drum, but um, yeah, no, I'll I'll add that in, in the, the edit in the post. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, you know, uh, the space ballroom is an awesome spot. There's also another venue uh, called Best Video, um, which is one of the few sort of active uh, video rental stores that's still around, at least in oh, New England. Oh wow, I know, yeah, I know from Best Video, dude. It's it's amazing. Uh, the the selection is truly unbelievable, and and a lot of it is uh, is organized by director, which I think is really, really cool. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah wonderfully cool. curated. Awesome folks running that space. So Good, co- good coffee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we're, we're very lucky in, in Hamden in particular to have these two terrific spots that we're, we're able to play pretty often. Oh, so they, said- they have shows in the video store? Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah, it's the best. <laughs> Just some local Hamden, Connecticut gossip for you, Harry. We're we're insiders. I feel like I'm an insider for once, knowing about Hamden, Connecticut. Do they do they play like you know, like old footage from like old movies while the the show's going on? Because I I love that. I'm very easily distractible, so I will watch whatever's on. If you put a, I don't care what else is going on. You put a screen there. Like I'm I'm so bad. I don't even like. Like if there's any sport on at a at a bar, I don't even care if I'm interested outside of that bar. But I'm <laughs> like, I'm watching that. Right. right. Yeah. They do. They do project <laughs> movies. And uh, the second part of what you said is usually why we, uh, if if there's a projector in a venue, we typically forego that option, sort of <laughs> hoping that uh, you know, um, what we're doing on stage to sort of return to what we started with is you know, entertaining and captivating enough that uh, we don't necessarily need the, the movie going on in the background to keep folks entertained for 20 minutes. <laughs> I have that same, I have that same problem though. I so, think everyone does. Yeah. 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 Um, the last show we played there, they were playing the nineties um, uh, Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, I don't know what it's called. Classic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> That movie um, like really altered my childhood because I really love. I, you can probably, you may have noticed, oh, I'm actually, actually wearing a not. Mario shirt. Listeners um, can't hear that, can't see that, but they can't see that shirt. But describe it's a the great, shirt for the for the listeners. The great Yoshi shirt, a lot of Yoshi's 
Oh yeah, um, Mario is surrounded by all colors yeah, it's, of Yoshi. A, it's a pretty cohort great. of Yoshis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> my dream. That was amazing. Um, I, don't, I, don't anyway. did, I don't know who that did a, that. Was that Chad? No, that was Yoshi. <laughs> That was Yoshi. Yeah, it was Yoshi. Yoshi. Uh, Yoshi yeah, we got we got Yo- big guests this week. We got Yoshi. Yeah. <laughs> Yoshi on the pod. Um, yeah, so that movie just like was really scary to me as a child, and it was really strange. I had not seen it since childhood, and uh, it was weird to watch it um, during during the show. But... I know for a fact you are not the only person who yeah. like was a- deeply affected by that movie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like on, you know, as a Mario adaptation, it's not good, but like mm-hmm. it's become like a cult classic. Like it's, I know. it's like it had, it, they chose a vibe and it's not the vibe to depict Mario, but no. like, it's like a, yeah, it's, it's like a fever dream of just crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah. The, like Very the, liberal interpretation of the, of the source text. When the Koopas like are in their, you know, reptilian form, just like right. that that look is like I close my eyes and I see that face. <laughs> yeah. Same. Yeah. I feel like w- whatever sort of odd left fields value you can get out of that movie is really dependent on sort of not having any affection for the super Mario franchise. Cause if you, if you yeah. are sort of connected to those characters emotionally, then I think that 93 Mario brothers movie is just going to bum you out. But yeah. If you don't care about Mario, then it is this fascinating uh, artifact. Yeah, it's it's very strange. But um, yeah, I just remember like being really excited that it was, existed. And then I was like, this is actually really scary. And I'm sad that Yoshi's like, you know, uh, in handcuffs for a little while. Mm-hmm. I don't even I don't really remember what happens in the movie, in but... movie. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a while, but like. <laughs> I remember just there's something like when Bob Hoskins is in a movie, like in a movie, because I'm also going to include Who Framed Roger Rabbit in this, because that's also, you know, like that's also a movie that you look at and you're like, oh, cartoon characters. This is going to be some good old fun. And then it's horrifying. Yes, (laughs) that's that's that movie has enough sort of redeeming stuff that's like fun and good about it. But yes, there's still some moments in Who Framed Roger Rabbit that are genuinely upset yeah both killing that were shoe scary dude, to me that's awful it's awful yeah when he just dips that shoe in the in the goo oh it dies yeah. slowly oh, well, when when he starts regressing to his cartoon form I, like it was nightmare fuel yes Lloyd, man yeah yes yeah do you think fans of the original 93 mario brothers movie are like pissed off about the new one they're like, what is this? I don't. These are none of none of the familiar characters I know from <laughs> my favorite I've, movie. I've never played this. any of these these games. <laughs> They're just a fan I, of the '93. <laughs> damn, they made Mario woke. <laughs> I I don't know if I can picture <laughs> that person. Yeah, who, the who, person who's so devoted to the 1993 yeah. Super Mario Brothers movie, and that's it. Right. And nothing else. Never played a game. Never played a cart. Never golfed. It's never just John Leguizamo. <laughs> oh yeah and it's like i really prefer my portrayal of luigi <laughs> yeah that's uh i i prefer charlie day i think but i haven't seen it yet so i don't know i i hope that the the new mario movie um does not scare me as much as the old one has i kind of do <laughs> re- lament that though when our when our movies used to scar children and now now they're just i don't know I, 
I've Eisen seen also. plenty of yeah. like, you know, like animated movies in recent years that are, I'm just like, your children are supposed to see this. Like, um, you know, what was surprisingly fucking awesome was the newest Puss in Boots movie. But yeah. the the villain, one of the villains in that, because there's there's two like antagonistic characters and one one is played by John Mulaney and he's like goofy and slapstick. But the other the other is played by the guy who played um, Pablo Escobar on the first two seasons of Narcos. And he's like this, you know, this like dark wolf in like a cloak. And he's like genuinely like his scenes are genuinely terrifying. Yeah, I've heard I've heard good things about that movie. Um, that's always it's I always find it to be a challenge when when movies like that sort of animated movies, especially if they have like cute main characters, even if I'm sure that they're going to turn out OK, it's it, it could still be emotionally devastating in a way that like is very unique. Like I remember Toy Story 3 taking a lot out of. Oh, me. my God. When they're all. Yeah. Like going down to the that movie is incinerator. A- slowly yeah like i was i was so evil i was i was fighting back like sobbing to such an extent that i had like a sore throat after that movie in the theaters just because it it, i mean it it went to such a sort of intense emotional space that you don't expect and something about it being animated i don't know what it is but i think Mm it i think it makes that even more uh impactful or poignant or whatever it is but yeah, it is. It is wild. Animation can depict things that no camera could, including yeah. horrible, sad emotions. Exactly, you, could, you just couldn't get with a film camera. Um, yeah. That mo- that moment, that movie was like a turning point where like Pixar realized that okay, every movie after this, there's a moment that makes you want to cry. Yeah, Either that that it was up and that no, it was it was up. Oh, we can because really... Toy Story three came out after up. Right, mm-hmm. right. They they were just like that's when they realized they had their audience by the balls. They can like. Squish, squish tears out of people. No, yeah, Inside like, Out has a pretty brutal a cry moment. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's true. That's why I like Ratatouille. Ratatouille is yeah. It's it, it's it's very moving and beautiful, but it doesn't really have a moment that's quite so gutting. With uh, so I actually, so I read a great a great tweet about Ratatouille just today that was like i love ratatouille because because it's not like a it's not a story about how you can do anything like you can achieve anything you set your mind to it's like no you suck at cooking you need the rat (laughs) that rat is the only thing between you and abject failure Uh, yes that's a good lesson (laughs) i would i would let the rat take control like just what right. a, poignant... He's a great cook. Yeah. yeah. At least you'd be eating good. That rat could really cook. And you'd be getting the credit. <laughs> at least for a bit. Not no, until he goes straight and he like, you know, reveals himself to the world and in the final scene of Ratatouille, when he right. kind of, you know, reveals himself. Do does anyone seen uh, Futurama? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like sure. the you you know the episode where Fry gets the worms? Yeah. Yeah. I would I would I would take the worms. Yeah, I would take those worms in a second. Uh, yeah, if the same with like the Borg, like if if a if a Borg comes to me and it's like we've we did the, we crunched the numbers, we did all the math, it's actually better if you join our collective. And I'm like, all right, I believe you. Sure, I'm there. Sign me up. I'm like, plug me back into the Matrix. Like anything. Yeah, you came you came with like data and spreadsheets and you know yeah. like. <laughs> 
like you really thought this out. Like it, it honestly, it feels nice to be to like you went through that effort at, just because you like want me to join you, and I like that feels very, yep. you know, like free will is overrated. We've proved it. <laughs> but at least they're giving you the free will to not have free will. Whoa, dude. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. It's like if you have the choice not to, would you take it? It's like I don't want to have to think that much anymore. Yeah, yeah we're exactly. getting beat. Ratatouille me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what I mean when I say ratatouille me. I just want to relinquish control and just of my motor function. Like I still want to experience, <laughs> but I, you know, <laughs> like I just I just want to be a passenger. Like what is what is L- Linguini thinking about when he's when he's being puppeted? Is he like I to leave the oven on at home? No, Remy would have turned it off. It's <laughs> no, no, he did that. This is why I, this is why we wear chef's hats when we when we play. You have little mice. You have little rats controlling you as you play your instruments. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering. So I, you know, your stage getup is very iconic, and I was like, this the the striped shirts I get, but the 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 chef's hats. That's kind of I don't understand that one. Why do you wear that? <laughs> well now you know when i saw rush in high school what i mean what a what a sentence to start on right uh Love it. <laughs> uh they had not the band themselves but they had on stage with them like two like stand-up ovens full of rotisserie chickens and over the course of like the two hour two two and a half hour show they would occasionally have someone come out in like a chef's hat and apron to like baste the rotisserie chicken on the stage yeah yeah it was hilarious they're like no for no reason whatsoever they're just kind of they're just kind of silly guys silly yeah. but how much money do you need to have to for a tour to be like i'm sorry our our rotisserie chicken guy he needs his own green room like <laughs> he needs his what? own bus. at least <laughs> at least and that's that's a lot on of like chicken on your rider <laughs> so much chicken what are they even never mind i, I hope i, I hope, don't know I hope like the crew like eat gets to eat that after or got to. I was wondering if it was like served during the show once it was ready to the audience. Yeah. I didn't see any distribution (laughs) of chicken. chicken? Yeah. I also, I also feel like that's a whole just with like venue and like consumption regulations. I don't know if you would be allowed to do that, but you know, this, this was like 2007. This was a different time. Are, are you sure you were at a Rush concert and not next to the Halal guys <laughs> truck? <laughs> I, I yes, because I I saw Rush on two separate ends of this same tour, and they still had the. I went back thinking, oh man, I hope they have the rotisserie chickens, and they they did. So it was like, <laughs> yeah, I you know it probably it was not the same chickens, I'm sure, but they had the same. You know, like the guy came out and basted them. Wow. That is really some interesting. Uh, you don't have to lie. You don't, you don't have to lie and say it's interesting. It's really. They're it's silly guys. We can just say they're silly. It's guys. Weird. That's yeah. silly. <laughs> uh, well, so uh, if if you could have a food being prepared on stage next <laughs> while you play. Great question. What would it be? I think it. Yeah, I think it begs the question before we laugh at Rush. Right. Yeah. What food so Rush is we... clearly if if you can use Rush as your North Star. So if Rush's music is rotisserie chickens being basted do. on stage, as I often oh, Rush is my North Star because they're Canadian. Right. Damn. That's why I, that's why I brought you on to like host a lot of episodes, Ben. <laughs> Thank you. OK, so if Rush 
Rush is your North Star. What what if Rush is to if Rush is to rotisserie chicken, perennial is to mm-hmm. what is the first what's the first thing that comes to mind? So our, our sets our sets are like 20 minutes. So that's like just about the right amount of time to bake a batch of cookies. So yeah, go with, I was ooh, thinking cookies. Chocolate chip cookies. Co- yeah, nice. I was thinking like really, really al dente pasta. 20 minutes. You, you're only, you've only cooked it for like, you know, the water hasn't even finished boiling yet. You can, you can get al, al dente and you, it doesn't take that long to get I'm talking about I'm talking about turning the saucepan on, putting the pasta right. in. Oh, oh, for, yeah, from, from <laughs> standing 20 minutes water. later. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd, probably, I'd probably start boiling like, you know, during sound check and like set up. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Definitely. That's why you're. That's why they're going to hire you to be their uh, on stage <laughs> pasta cooker. Yeah. Well. Oh. Well. I've yeah. been learning how to make my own pasta from scratch. I mean, that takes a lot longer than twenty minutes. Right. But you know, if you start doing that during sound check, then you're good. Exactly. Yeah. And then I got to let it rest. My as my aunt says, you you make the dough, you put it in the fridge to like to rest for a bit, and you pour a glass of wine, and then when you're done with the glass of wine then it's time to work the dough. And that's, right. most, that's the, the most Italian unit of time. Yeah. <laughs> One glass of wine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad we both arrived at cookies. That's great. Yeah. yeah probably means it's the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a nice, nice sweet treat. <laughs> Sometimes I, I make and bring cookies to shows. I haven't done that for a little while. I, I will start doing it again. This is the inside <laughs> scoop. <laughs> I like that. It's just like fun to have some kind of snack uh, in general. And yeah. It's, it's nice. Like, I feel like it um, It kind of, you can make friends at shows with cookies or yeah. anywhere with cookies, probably. It's cookies are a good, are a pretty solid uh, icebreaker. Yeah. Nice set, man. Want a cookie? Right. <laughs> that would be Great amazing. Icebreaker. Yeah, right. I would I would buy a T-shirt if it came with a cookie. Ah, mm. all right, that's a good marketing tactic. Good way to get your merch merch sales up. <laughs> oh yeah, if you want a cookie, then you have to buy some. Yeah, you buy a shirt or a, a, an album. <laughs> you do have great merch, though. I do own a perennial yellow perennial T-shirt with the oh, with the yeah. broken the broken um, keyboard. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. All listeners, cop yourself a perennial tee. It's the look of the summer. Have you ever thought of um, selling uh, striped tees, like so you can like look like perennial? A lot of people have asked us um, to do that, but we haven't we haven't really thought of it. It's probably worth looking into at this point. It's not a bad idea. It's like shop the look. Yeah, <laughs> it would be fun. Yeah. I always dream of a show like our a release show where we ask people to wear stripes, so then everyone is just That's matching a great us. Idea. We should probably do that for the next release show. That's a good idea. It'd just be fun. When you wear a striped shirt not on stage, do you feel like you're like wearing like your work clothes? Because Chad, <laughs> I see now that you yeah. are wearing a striped tee. I'm like, it's like wow, it's like you're in your like your suit and tie or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. It's funny. Um, I remember a while back reading this interview with the Hives. This is right, 20 years ago at this point, and. Uh, the singer was talking about how their policy at the time, at least, was whenever they were out in public, 
in, in, in any way. So whenever they left the house, they had like a hives uniform that wasn't their stage outfit, but nevertheless, all five of them matched. So they had this rule. And I think it's because they were at like the height of their popularity and they always wanted, you know, if someone were to snap a picture of them, they would be in hives gear. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I get a kick out of the eccentricity of that. Um, I mean, so they had such a cool look the about them. They really did. And they, they did a cool thing where every album release, they would change up mm-hmm. for the specifics of what the suit looked like. Are yeah, you planning so to do it's, something it's, like that on your next album? I would, I would love to. Yeah. Yeah, we, we we went to a show last week where I happened to be wearing a striped shirt and somebody, uh, this was in New York City, somebody recognized us. Um, and I'm sure that striped shirts probably, uh, helped. probably helped. Yeah, definitely <laughs> helped. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. I mean, I when you when we spoke uh, for our uh, for the article that came out a couple of weeks ago on Olsen Pudding, you mentioned like you mentioned the Beatles, but like the Beatles all dressed alike. And that's true. They did. They, I mean, it was very much like they just you know, it had a uniform. They had suits. It just kept everything like when you see a band playing music together, they should also look the same. So, you know, they're a unit. So you it's just it helps with the everything just gel and congeal. Yeah. And everyone says once they started dressing differently, the music really went to shit. So <laughs> yeah, um, they had no good ideas after that. <laughs> after help, it was like it was I want the I want the bubblegum. <laughs> it is. The the thing I'll I'll say about it is is there's a very special sort of energy or electricity that happens right when we're about to play and we all sort of look at one another because we we sort of start the set a very specific way that sort of requires us to all be uh, in sync and on the same page in that moment. But it's very fun to look at the other two members of your band, see everybody matching and know that you're about to be just like outrageously loud. Um, so that combination of elements just is, is always very exciting for us. Um, and yeah, matching is definitely part of that. It's like being in the army. Like you see all the, all your fellow soldiers in the same like uniform and you're like, we're going to ready to go to war together (laughs) for a unit. Yeah. Or, or completely different from that. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing at all like that or nothing at all like that or what you said. Yeah. Yeah. About to to play a set. Yeah. Let's. Let's commit some war crimes during this one. We're very peaceful and yeah. peace-loving bands. <laughs> That's all. Uh, yeah. Um, the record, but it is it's just nice to sort of feel like all right, the three of us are we are this this team, this this collective. Yeah. I think yeah. it helps people remember us too. Like sometimes if I reach out to someone who we played with four years ago, I'm like, that band with the like the crazy band with the stripes. And like I think that helps them remember, hopefully. Um <laughs> Right, yeah. Yeah. And then folks can find us after our set. It's easier for that, which is nice. Because sometimes I like have face blindness of watching a band and I'm like, who was in that band? I didn't get to talk to that one person and I, I don't was remember what they look like. Exactly. And so we're just doing it as a service to help other people find us and remember us. And it's very fun. So I used to have in high school, I had like a green sweatshirt that like I wore every day and so it became like you know synonymous with my character you know it's this like kind of bright green Nike sweatshirt and I still have it it's like not I think it's like still at in my room at my mom's house but it's somewhere but it's you know it's raggedy as hell now because I wore it every freaking day 
How many um striped shirts do you have? Do you have a like a do you have to wash the same one every time you after mm-hmm. every show? So see, in rotation, we have five different uh sort of outfits that we that we rotate through. And they're all they're all different. So like we have a black and white one, a yellow and white one, um purple. Purple and gray. So yeah, it's it's basically whenever we mm-hmm. see you know, I'll periodically go online shopping and see if I can find uh, striped shirts that can sort of be added to our rotation of perennial outfits. But that's so cool, too. So, like, when I saw you, I think you were in purple and gray. And so now it's like you want to incentivize everybody to go out and see them multiple times. So you can collect the full set of, like, <laughs> <laughs> of, of shirt colors and combinations. For the yeah, completers. I mean, yeah. And you could, because yeah, you never know when you guys are gonna get a new set of striped shirts, and then it's like, I guess I gotta, I guess I gotta go like back to another show to just to see which which stripes it is. You could yeah. do five. You could do five nights at a venue, different shirt each night, and different set each night. Mm-hmm. No repeats. True, no repeat yeah. shirts. No repeated shirts. No repeated <laughs> songs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we have we have, you know, if if we're playing a venue for for the second time, we've definitely looked back at our Instagram to see all right, what were we wearing the first time we played at this spot and we'll sort of say, okay. Change it up. Yeah. We're not wear the we're not gonna wear the gray and white ones this time. We'll wear the purple ones. Or... And who wants to do laundry after every show when you play 50, 60 ish shows a year? You need that natural band yeah. musk. <laughs> Advocate Harry's advocating for not washing the shirts. <laughs> They get really sweaty. Yeah, it's it's, it's an absolute necessity. Not really possible. <laughs> yeah, with the amount that you're moving around, like do you do you take like the fabric into consideration when you're buying a new shirt? We probably should, but we don't. I like don't a like a do. does um like Under Armour make a striped tee that you could like athletic grade quality? <laughs> well, sweat we have wicking. wicks. We sweat, have yeah. retired. We have retired shirts. That yeah. Have, uh really just the hung with the rafters <laughs> that's a great idea yeah. um they're like crunchy they can't get clean <laughs> it's disgusting <laughs> i was gonna put that a bit more uh i wish i could publish the face i just made when you said the word crunchy it was very much the like like i'm just, i might yeah. puke a little yeah. bit like pre-puke, <laughs> pre-puke face yeah. It was pretty incredible. I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> a wretch. It's a retching face. Yeah. Sorry. I was I was gonna be a bit out. more like elliptical and <laughs> that you trailed yeah, off. Sure. And you trailed off, Chad, and and, and like and I, I, have perfect, yeah, I, I have the perfect word for it. It's my fault. It's crunchy. <laughs> the crunchy yeah, shit. Free band name. I'm just imagining I'm just imagining like the wiki, like the setlist FM type of website where it's like, okay, here's all the songs they played, and it was um and it was a yellow shirt night, you know, like and you can like then like, click on the yellow shirt and be like, oh, all the yellow shirt nights. This is for my I'm gonna make a fan, I'm gonna make like a wiki. A f- a yeah, the perennial wiki. That. Honestly, that'd be I would love if that happens. Uh, you know, I'd... that would be pretty cool to track for real. <laughs> Are you geeky about that stuff and like across art and music and such? Oh, a hundred percent. A lot of a lot of the reason why we sort of make whatever sort of stylistic decisions we make in Pernilla usually just because we are huge fans of whatever the thing is. So, so the, the the matching outfits thing. There's just so many bands that we love. Whether it's 
the Hives or the Beatles or a lot of those like 60s garage rock bands or even the Locust, you know, all these bands that just have cool matching outfits. So we wanted to do it too. The, you know, we were talking about the electric organ early on. Um, not so much the Doors, but a lot of those mid 60s bands like the Sonics or, yeah. uh, you know, the Rascals, like uh, Small Faces, a lot of those sort of awesome almost early punk bands had electric organ either as the bass or just, you know, as this other layer, you don't see it too much, but we really, uh, really into those sounds. So, you know, that, that inspired sort of having that be one of the, the main sort of sounds in what we do. Yeah. How did that come to be? Like, what was your vision always to have a guitar and organ band or was it like sort of serendipitous and what both of you can play? Both. <laughs> Chelsea is a, a organist piano player keyboardist mm-hmm. but it's also just the, like the stuff that was making us want to form this band was you know those bands i mentioned and then sort of more recent bands that have done similar things whether it be um like the makeup or, or other bands that sort of have organ as part of this punk sound international noise conspiracy mm-hmm. so it was suicide this... oh true mm-hmm. um just like i'm just thinking like that kind of like weird like like electronic e-punk like that was going on back then. Yeah, absolutely. Love suicide. Uh, that, that, that first record is, is amazing. It's definitely something we were actually listening to a lot around the time that we were figuring all this out. So yeah, I, I think it was, it was just sort of a combination of both, both sort of what we typically played and the stuff that was making us want to form the band. And what about the, um, the next, the new one? Are what are you listening to? in regards to that let's see so it's it's interesting because um i think when when we were sort of initially starting the band writing the first record and and the second record i think what we were sort of getting out of a lot of the bands we were we were listening to for inspiration was sort of more the guitar stuff and the way that those bands were sort of leading into the early eras of punk but with this newest record we're sort of listening to a lot of the same stuff but i think finding different things in it so one of the things that i've noticed a lot about the record we're working on is that there's a lot of like tambourine and fuzz bass and wah pedals and a lot of that sort of very groovy mid-60s stuff while also i think being probably the heaviest record we've made at the same time so you know it is again i'll sort of say small faces the creation the sonics uh those first couple who records a lot of sort of early 60s sort of girl groups like the chiffons mm. the supremes yes. martha and the vandellas i hear um, a lot of motown in your stuff actually thank you yeah honestly thank you so much that is for, for me, at least, that is the original music that I listened to growing up. Like, that's that's the stuff that got me into music and probably still remains if I had to choose a sound or, or an aesthetic that, that I think is sort of number one for me. It's mid-60s Motown, I think, is just yeah. the pinnacle. It, I mean, I you, you can, you're folding in a lot of new sounds. Um, like, is like Wall of, is like Phil Spector type, like, Wall of Sound. Uh, on the table, off the table for you? Like, what What basically, like, wouldn't you incorporate? Because, mm-hmm. actually, like, having the organ 
it really gives you a lot of like lateral movement with what what sounds you can bring in. I was just listening to your album like right before we talked and I was like, oh yeah, there's like some weird like breakbeat, like drum beat stuff in it. And like the keyboard, like the organ almost like it gives it like that kind of like suicide-y like proto-electronic thing. So you, right. can, you can really, you can really easily go in a lot of different directions. So it's like um, thinking like what, what new elements, yeah, you'd be folding in and what you were like, actually that doesn't belong here. Like, would you ever have like, um, you know, I don't know, like guitar like really long guitar solos like is that like a no-no for the band well for, for that specifically you know um we, we were just talking about this um i'm not a great technical guitar player but i'm an excellent perennial guitar player by which i mean that i'm sort of really a very comfortable sort of creating the stuff on guitar that's necessary for a perennial song. But I don't think I have like a, a, an even halfway decent guitar solo. in me. I, I think all um, the best guitarists are like that. Truly. Like, I think that <laughs> I'll take it. No, no. But like, you know, the best like Lou Reed lines aren't the best, like Robert Plant lines or I don't know, like classic, like guitar lines. Like they're just totally different. I was listening to like, um, uh, like squeeze, like that guy I think is a really smart, guitar player and his lines are so iconic and so like it's just so him and i wouldn't put it next to like uh like Jimi hendrix or anything be like that that kind of style but it's just what it's just what he can do and it's what it's what you bring to it that matters right yeah yeah so you know um you know i i i think the main reason a, a long guitar solo wouldn't show up in a perennial song is just that i i don't envision myself coming up with a very good long guitar solo it's also you know taste wise i don't think any of the three of us necessarily mm -hmm. into that sort of sound but yeah I, I think one of the cool things about perennial is um i think all three of us have, have a lot of ambition in the studio but um we're also often having to go all right well we're gonna have to figure out a way to make this work that isn't like you said, for instance, a guitar solo, right? If something instrumental needs to happen here, I, I can't just do like the the cool twelve bar sort of technically uh, technically proficient guitar solo. So we're gonna have to come up with something else, and usually that's where the stuff that's most exciting comes from is is pushing ourselves to be creative, but also sort of being creative with whatever limitations we encounter. What's the um like longest a perennial song would ever be. Do you have a hard limit on that? I was, I was also just listening to your, you're on a podcast, a rival music podcast, whose name I'm forgetting. Uh, and you're talking about manifestos. No you're actually, you were, you were talking about um, the album. Oh gosh. The shape of punk to come. Incredible yes. title. Um, yeah. Incredible title for an album refused. Yeah. That's, that's a great album. Really cool album. Uh, again, I totally hear that. In, in what you guys are doing for sure. Thank you. But also in, in that, in that podcast, you were talking about manifestos and um, uh, uh, like, what you miss when bands would have like a stated ethics and goals and, and, and like a position. And I don't know, do you have one for this band or do you like, do you, are you just kind of feeling it out where, where the limits are? Do we have limits? Uh, That's a great, that, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, well, I always ask that. Do we have limits? Do what we are have the limits? limits? Yeah. 
I guess I, I would you say expand on your manifesto. Um, I think we're we're always sort of making sure that we're growing what perennial sounds like, mm-hmm. and that we're not just sort of leaning on the easiest answer to sort of how a riff should go, or how a sh- how a part should go, or you know where things should go in a song. But I also think that the that the three of us who've been working together now in this band for seven years have a have a pretty good sense of sort of what the ingredients are sort of what the what the textures are that we're going for so i don't think we'd ever we've ever necessarily said all right we won't do this or yeah a perennial song can't be five minutes long but i also don't really picture us writing a five minute song either so i think it's it's one of the things i think is magic about the band is the three of us just being really on the same page about what we're excited to make together and when we demo songs, sometimes we, you know, we're surprised if it's like 52 seconds or we're surprised if it's two minutes. So, you know, we're we're kind of used to the short songs for sure. But, you know, we're not we are certainly not um, going into writing thinking we better have a long song or we need to have a short song. But they sort of they kind of. Yeah, they sh- they sort of, I don't know, trailing. Off. You don't feel the need to artificially <laughs> lengthen yeah. a song. If a song wants to right. be fifty-seven seconds long, that's how long yeah. it is. Yeah, I completely agree. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I want to hit you with some rapid-fire um, musical elements, and if you and you tell me if it's in or out, it, it, out of perennial. Okay. I love first. Okay. Okay. First one, accordion. In rapid-fire, <laughs> it's in. Yeah. Accordion's in. Yeah. Why not? Okay. I don't know who pl- I have no idea anyone in our lives that plays accordion, but we'll take okay. it. Okay. Cowbell. It's an open call. In. Already Cowbell. in, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, I must have missed it. <laughs> in the new stuff. Uh, it's on the it's on in the midnight hour too. Really? I never remember. Yeah, take a who look at the, at the I first Cowbell. verse of Lauren Bacall in Blue. Okay. Here's open for Cowbell. Right. Well, in the studio for the next record, I played Cowbell, so that's why I don't remember it. (laughs) Gospel Choir. In. Yeah, that'd be cool. I would actually love to hear that. (laughs) Everyone should check out uh, Abattoir Blues by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. It's a punk record with a bunch of gospel choir on it, and it's a pretty perfect record. I like the, um, in Piebald, the Choir of Children. True. Not enough well, children's not choir. Enough children's choirs. I love a children's it choir. It always song. always hits. It's so spooky. <laughs> that Caroline Polachek song that ends in a children's choir is so good. <laughs> um, okay, what else? What else? Uh chimes. I guess no. Yeah, probably we not. I guess everything else. So maybe we have to say no occasionally. Chimes feels like it gets into like loaded 70s classic rock yeah. territory, like the eagles or something that's sort of not, not where the, perennial not lives <laughs> yeah not the direction you want to go in what about uh banjo hmm. that hard to see out. it yeah I think that, but uh, I you like know for the for, sound for, of banjo but i think it wouldn't work for us for all these i'm sure i'm sure answer. there's hmm. a, there's a version of of all these sounds that we could make Cool and be happy with, but I I guess what I'm what I'm sort of picturing is what what would we pick up in the studio or who would we sort of have mm. have come into the studio to to do something is, is sort of what's guiding our answers at this point. <laughs> Sampling a speech from a U.S. president. 
Out. Out. Yeah. I don't know. I think you could do some fun stuff with the Nixon tapes. Yeah. Yeah, but then we have Richard Nixon on a perennial yeah. recording. No. That's that's yeah. true. It's a bad. It's it's, it's <laughs> thematically a bad vibe. Yeah. It's, yeah. Know, I don't need any right wing monsters anywhere near my records. It's a pretty good philosophy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's definitely in the manifesto. <laughs> there it is. You found yeah. it. Is that it? Those are. I don't know. Do you have any? Do you have any others? I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. Uh, I mean, we could just we could run down the the okay. instrument list, but you know, I feel I, who has yeah. the time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you guys ever want to get like with an orchestra, adding orchestral hits? Uh maybe. See, that's some, an interesting one too. Because that could very that very e- could very easily be awesome, but uh, that also could very easily get into the overbloated territory mm-hmm. that you were referencing yeah, right. earlier. Like orchestras are always. Iffy, a sign of bloat. Yeah, they're either a sign of bloat or a, like truly like no, you like you were onto something, right? Yeah, and I think yeah, it's one of those genius. things. Like the the Beatles did it, you know, with like Sergeant Pepper's and nailed it. And then other bands were like, "Oh, that's a that's a great idea. We're totally gonna nail this too." And then don't. I'm mm-hmm. like not naming anyone specifically because I don't have anyone on the top of my head, but you know, if we ran through the '70s, we could. I also like when the the opposite is true, like. I'll name a name. Nico didn't want the strings on these days. She was like, I hate the strings on these days. And I don't know about you guys, but the strings on these days are, are oh, pretty yeah. fucking great. Best, gorgeous. Best right. part of the song. Gorgeous, gorgeous part of the song. Uh, and it's a it's a moment where like you want to go, like you want to strip it back, but actually, actually you're wrong. You should actually have that extra element. Does that ever happen in the studio where you're like, I don't know about the cowbell on this song sometimes and more like, no, 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 actually, is we... actually more <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i think i yeah, saw it is oh go ahead no i was gonna say i, I was gonna make a joke i thought i think i saw a gambling ad that had that as the slogan <laughs> sorry yeah isn't it isn't it great how now uh every third commercial is about gambling love it especially in massachusetts yeah it's, <laughs> it's can't get enough yeah that is there there are those two impulses towards minimalism and then towards mm-hmm. sort of studio as instrument. And I think we often find ourselves torn between the two because sometimes it can be really cool to, to strip something way back. But then I'm always sort of wondering what what could be, you know, what could we put yeah. in here that right. there would be a surprising instrument to have show up. And and I'm always. I often find myself my, myself, uh, myself, but, myself, my yes, I contain multitudes. Um, absolutely bummed out by when the band does the back to basics record, you know, whenever, whenever mm. it, it, it's, it, it always seems like it's the case that a band will do a record that is sort of very aesthetically daring and challenging. And somehow there always seems to be a backlash, particularly from from longtime fans you know yeah exactly mm-hmm. from fans whose relationship is largely nostalgic to the band and then this isn't the same band this is any given band yeah uh actually i'm not a huge fan of the band of the band um so this is just uh any any given artist or or group and so that that sort of challenging left field record where the group is trying to do something new or trying to sort of expand their sounds if it 
doesn't work or if it feels like there's too much of a backlash, then there's inevitably the follow-up that will be sort of the stripped down back to basics record. And I don't think there's an example of that kind of record that I really enjoy because it always feels so depressingly uh, self-conscious and like, like the musicians are just, yeah. Are, are too worried about they're like simping for to like you know no no like we still got it like you know we don't have to take this new direction we'll go we'll go back to making what you like yeah. we'll go back to playing it safe and easy but it's it's also a lot of the time when they get to that point where they have to do like a stripped down one then the stripped down one has all the same like overproduction that like their more recent ones have because like the earlier ones were probably like a little more lo-fi if if not like completely but mm. like yeah it was a, probably a little more raw this is and a very good point try, trying to plan the stripped down record is yeah. often like is is often the folly of it you get used to the bigger budgets you're like we can't really go back to where we were before you'll never go back to that old studio with the old equipment like you're just at that point, you all have your own three lives. albums deep. Hard to get yeah. you guys together, you know, in one place. Yeah, and then it's it's just artificial, right? Because that whatever whatever record the group made at the time that 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 made them catch on at the time, I, I guarantee you, you know, uh, said imagined group that we're talking about was probably pushing at the absolute limits of their resources, right? Like so, they were probably using the best instruments they could afford at the time. We're probably using every single second of studio time that they could sort of scrape together their their part time job, you know, income to to afford to record. And it just so happened to to sort of turn into something magical. So the group in question that we're sort of talking about generically made this thing that was just so real and urgent for where they were at that moment. But if later on, after they've had the success and they can sort of afford to have an even more expansive project in the studio to then sort of do this weird like fantasy camp thing where you're sort of pretending that you're back there when when you couldn't afford the big budget and all that stuff. It, it just feels so oddly um, feels like everything's in quotation marks. Just just make the record you want to make. And at the very least, you'll have the energy of you being excited about it and some folks might be bummed out that it doesn't sound like the thing they listened to in high school, but um, neither is the version that chases that sound. This is the problem that has like plagued the Strokes' entire career. Wow! No, you weren't talking about the Strokes, but actually, you yeah. were. <laughs> we, it's we funny because yeah, that wasn't the band I was thinking of. But well, um, <laughs> were you thinking of a specific band? You, you, we can name names. <laughs> we can also bleep it out if you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I there. I think there are a lot of examples of yeah. this. I mean, even even with the Beatles, right? Like, like Let It Be was supposed to be their strip back. Oh, it's just gonna be you know four guys in the studio with our guitars, and it's probably a bottom three Beatles record. And then the next thing they make is Abbey Road, which is them at their most sort of eccentrically ambitious. Operatic. Yeah, and I think it's a much more exciting record, even if it has sort of its its you know peaks and valleys i'll i'll take that sort of eccentric we're trying everything we can do we're the biggest band in the world's you know uh 
let's let's spend the indulgent studio time that's so much more interesting to that's me also than... a, that's also a, an interesting example because like let it be ended up being more bloated than they wanted it to be because they had yeah. like phil specter you know producing it and like he like brought the wall because there's like been a re-release of let it be called let it be dot 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 naked but that's like which the, i love that as a title more intended version yeah let it let it be let it be naked naked <laughs> and sound naughty beetles yeah let it be naked <laughs> no but i love i love that point about about let it be because you know you have this like valley of Beatles songs where it's like the the beginning like you're described four people just who are fo- solely focused on making songs they're not celebrities yet all of their energy is focused on making songs and they're these very nice, cheery, bubblegummy songs. And then you have those four same guys years later into their career, post-celebrity, post-everything, post-acid trips, coming back into the studio, trying to write those same kind of songs, but they, they're more sophisticated and they can't write those same simple, basic-ass melodies that they, they, they could write when they were teenagers. And then if, if we go even further into like the Beatles solo careers in the 70s, like if you've listened to rock and roll by John Lennon, like that's literally him, like covering, you know, like the classic rock and roll rockabilly songs that he like fell in love with when he was a kid. And it's so ass. It's like, I'm. it's, it is, it's so ass. I, I, a lot of John Lennon solo material. I'm not a fan of where I'm like a huge fan of like Paul's and George's. Yeah. To be honest, that's where I'm at too. Um, he wasn't it solo. I also really like a few Yoko solo albums too. And so I don't blame her. Like I have, I have great things to say about Yoko. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is I, I can't picture an artist like Yoko Ono wanting to sort of do some artificial nostalgia thing mm-hmm. of, you know, I, I have to go back to basics because anything besides that is, is false or whatever right yoko ono is an incredibly uh forward ambitious thinking. artist forward, forward who thinking, wants yeah. to ambitious. right, right. forward thinking artist who always wants to sort of be on the avant-garde and thinking about sort of what's next and lets that be her guiding the principle art. yeah yeah and i think that's again you know be excited about sort of the new thing you can do is is i think a, a very mm-hmm. good principle as soon as you start looking back it's over yeah right I, th- I think that can be uh, I think that can be pretty self-defeating. Yeah. And someone, someone like, like Bjork is like a spiritual successor to that Yoko Ono spirit, like where she like every album is different, even as, even though she gets like, she's kind of just be- becoming more or- orchestral as she goes on. Her last album, like took a weird turn into like current, like popular European rave music, like Gabber and stuff. And it's like, it's definitely not my favorite thing she's done, but she's, you know, she's always pushing her sound further. We, we appreciate artists who give us weird things rather than consistently. Okay. Things like, I think that is truly, and it started, it started with the Beatles where they were like, we have to keep pushing forward um, and keep, people guessing because otherwise we're otherwise you know it's death it's stagnation or whatever but it's the same with like movie directors too or like artists who are just like i'm not going to give you the same kind of movie every time or i'm going to like i'm going to swerve this way i'm going to swerve this way following their career you actually get a better picture of like okay you are this kind of person or something like and you and i was never bored and not all of them are are good but none of them are boring 
Oh, uh, I was going to say when we're in the studio, we do try to, you know, we do try to um, have room for creativity and like just try weird things. You know, we try to get get what we already had envisioned um, down. And then if there's time, we just like, you know, find all the cool toys that we don't have access to otherwise. Mm -hmm. And we we uh, try them out in the studio and sometimes those make it um and sometimes they get cut but you know it gives us opportunity to try some new stuff which is fun yeah perfectly put like when we're when we're scheduling recording time particularly for albums where it's sort of a lengthier process we'll usually we'll usually schedule like three days of tracking and then a day to sort of play around with the stuff that we've done and see how we can make it weird or see what we can add and subtract just to make sure that at its heart these songs are guitar based in the form of organ and drums but we always want to make sure that there's lots that's surprising or 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 comes out of nowhere or sort of refreshes the way that you might relate to sort of a fast loud punk song it's it is a testament to your songwriting style that you can listen to a full album of of songs that are like have all those same ingredients that you mentioned guitar bass drums vocal um and they all sound like perennial songs but they don't they don't sound like the same song thank you where i mean that's like it it's and i and i got the same sense on any on any good album you get that sense where it's like oh well i get there's there's a formula and they're iterating and there's like you know that that kind of process plus all the studio stuff that you're throwing in is like you know how do you keep how do you keep it fresh are is this are the songs like is the song writing radically different this time around? Or did you how is that evolving? Hmm. I don't is anything uh, structurally coming on. What are we doing differently? What did we do differently as we were recording? That's a great question. I think well, the third LP did uh we wrote it really fast. You know, we were really jazzed on how uh in the midnight hour was received and how it sounds and how it came out and how much fun we had with it um and there were sort of ideas that that maybe were partially formed while we were still working on it in the midnight hour that that have um informed the next record and uh what else i mean i think you know uh the more length you or the more time you put into a project, you know, the more comfortable you are with it, you know, which which can be a bad thing. But um, in our case, I think it's it's really useful because we understand each other's writing um, processes better. We understand sort of like what the band is more. So it gives us more freedom to have fun with each other and to um, communicate musically like really uh really well and easily with each other i think yeah definitely i, th I think um this third record is, is coming after like you were saying in the midnight hour where it felt like all right we we made a record where we had a pretty specific vision and we were lucky enough with the help of chris teddy uh, who engineered and co-produced to pretty much get on tape what we were envisioning so now it's like all right we've we've reached whatever that is you know we, we sort of feel like we've we've gotten to that point where we can 
at least take that sort of slight sigh of relief of all right here's a record that that even now a year and a half later we can listen to and be super super excited about so it's a combination of building on it while also deconstructing it and i think a lot of the fun of that has been just how collaborative it's been with the three of us sort of suggesting Mm -hmm. things to one another um you know will coming up with guitar parts and Chelsea suggesting drum parts to Will and and it really at this point just being this sort of wide open sandbox where you know we know that we know the basic outlines of what we do and how we want to do it and then that leaves enough room for us to be spontaneous and sort of go for those exciting surprises at least for me this in the midnight hour is the first record that I recorded um, fully in a studio, just getting used to the process and now like feeling really, really comfortable there is helpful. And thinking about um, how the songs are going to sound live and how they're going to, how we're going to be able to do them live. is really helpful and informative of our performance in the studio as well. So thinking about like what I really love about, performing live and how that sort of influences what I want to record level of screaming, for instance, uh, as a sneak preview, you know, that's, that's been really fun. um, Sort of learning how to do that and playing with it and really getting to build upon that for the third record. Was there any part of you like deep in your soul, deep in your punk soul that after you make a very like successful record that people really like and, you know, a year and a half later, you're still listening to and you're excited about. Uh, is there anything in you that wanted to like really, really swerve and like throw people off? Or were you were you <laughs> consistent in, in your vision of like, all right, let's do like midnight hour plus up? It's it's funny because because early on, I think we were thinking about different ideas because I, I I do have a lot of fondness for records that feel like they started with some kind of thesis statement or some kind of thing that the band was clearly going for. And we had some different thoughts about that. And then I think we started sort of zooming in on a particular sound that again was, was very, you know, for lack of a better word, I think we were listening to a lot of stuff that came out around like the same, like 18 months in the mid sixties when, you know, the very, very early traces of punk were starting to find their way into sort of the British invasion bands. Yeah. Um, and when Motown records started featuring a bit more like distortion and fuzz pedal and wah pedals and stuff like that. And I think once we started really listening to that stuff, just cause, just cause it happened to be for whatever reason, you know, you go through, you go through times where there's certain records or bands or sounds that you love. It was just enormously inspiring to us. And that I think started guiding what we were doing on this record. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think the real um, sort of thesis for Perennial is we've always just made the stuff that we w- wished existed. Um, you know, the the matching outfits thing. We just like bands that match the the twenty minute set things. I like when it comes to a DIY show. I like a short concise you know carefully thought out set where there's just where where everything is is really direct and purposeful so that came down to the sound too of just 
you know, we make the records that we would want to buy in a record store. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes when I go out into the crowd, um, I like to just turn around and watch, watch Chad and Will play. And I'm like, I wish I could watch this band, but. I don't you know. have to be you're, in the band, unfortunately. I know, I know. Yeah. I have to do things, but I'm trying to watch. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, um, I. in terms of your last question, I don't think we were trying to, we weren't um, actively trying to take a, a really sharp turn away from our previous stuff. Um, I think we were trying to more build on it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's certainly the direction we're heading, but. Right. Yeah, this this building expanding, but also sort of making sure that sort of all the uh, the energy is still there at the end of the day. That's mm-hmm. that's really important. Hey, do you think it's time for our game? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually just thinking, should we should we play the game? Yeah. So we invent. So after listening to um, at your Jad, your your podcast appearance talking about the shape of punk to come, I was thinking about things that are and aren't punk. Yeah. Um, and uh, for the for of- you guys don't have context <laughs> for this, but for listeners on the previous episode, uh, like before this, I played a game with that band that we just came up with spur of the moment called Rocker Country, and so this is a a, <laughs> a sequel game to where like they gave they listed off things, and I told them if it was Rocker Country, and so this is a spiritual Sim- success. Similarly, game. similarly, this is a game called Is It oh. Punk. And we will give you uh, a, ser- a series of rapid fire uh, topics and you, the arbiters of punk to come, uh, decide if it is punk or it is not punk. All right. Uh, one thing one thing I'll, I'll sort of say quickly is um, I think there are, there are bands that think of punk and they think of The Clash and there are bands that think of punk and they think of The Sex Pistols. So I we- actually did left off The Clash and The Sex Pistols from my list. But now I might ask that. Please continue. Sorry. All right. So he's framing I, I, how we think. I, yeah. Of punk. Uh, this okay. <laughs> perfectly put. Yeah. Start yes. framing what perennial thinks of as punk. We are. We think of the Clash. So yeah. uh, <laughs> boom! You heard it. You heard it here first. That's a scoop. So uh, the Clash are a punk band. Yeah. The Clash are just, better that's, that's, than that's the, the, the sex that's, that is the world of punk that, that I think we live in with 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 all that goes along with that. So uh, okay. With, with with that, with that being said, wow, yeah. we're so adding the, rules. The Clash to this is punk. Game. The Sex Pistols not punk. Is that no? I think it's more that, that there's two schools of punk, and if yeah. you're either like the Clash or you're the Sex Pistols. Yes, right. Okay. I mean that's. Uh, I suppose that's reductive, but I also think this is a super reductive game. So I'm just trying yeah. to get. <laughs> it's yeah. the most get reductive that phrase, game. Get that phrasing within the the context of the game. But so both yeah, it'll, both it'll, are. Punk. It'll be helpful for framing all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Both are punk, but we care about the clash as punk. And and the the clash's uh <laughs> constructive uh progressive community worldview as opposed to the sex pistols okay. nihilistic yep. antagonism and basically sounding like 70s bar rock. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I like that we came up with a rule for the game that we're just learning about. <laughs> Okay, so the the first the first question is is it punk, and then the second question, the follow up question, will be is it if it is if yes if it is punk is it the Clash or is it the Sex Pistols? (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So the first top yes and yes or no. I I, you don't have to like go in depth, but just a little reasoning. Mm, Okay. 
But yeah, okay, uh, first... you can also just say like, that's yeah, just the vibe I'm getting. <laughs> I'll accept that too. Okay. Okay, the first topic, Bob Dylan. Funk. Yeah, 1963 to 1966, punk. You got to make a distinction. I love that you have a, a time period, era. period in which he was punk. Because it's that back to basics thing. He was doing cool cutting, cutting edge stuff for those four years and then decided they just want to do like back to basics folk rock. And I think he stops being right. interesting or challenging once that happens. So. Yeah. He went electric, man. When he went well, electric, that, it was well, cool. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's included in that date range. Yeah, right. It, it's it's when it started by that, right? Kind of. Well, not, no. I mean, you know, Wait, you said sixty three to sixty what? Sixty three to sixty six. Oh, he said, said sixty six. Yeah. So, so, so those first one, two, three, four, five. So so the the self titled record all the way through and including Blonde on Blonde. That is. Okay. Punk Bob. Okay, Dylan. thank you, thank you. Yes, because yeah. Blonde on Blonde is one hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, is is Bob Dylan the Clash or is he the Sex Pistols? The Clash. Oh, that's that's tough though oh. because that's, that actually is tough because I first thought the Sex Pistols. Wait, but I, 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 I thought the Clash in, in that in that date range. I would say he's the Clash, but outside of that date range, there there's still I'd say mm -hmm. he's still punk in other moments, but he's more Sex Pistols punk in outside of the date range that chad specified but that's that's me yeah that's probably a good way of thinking about it I, I don't think he has quite i don't think he ever really had the the whole like communal spirit that the clash had of of mm -hmm. sort of the clash would sort of like wrap their arms around the listener and want them to be sort of part of the thing that's not bob dylan um yeah. bob, no, bob dylan, dylan sometimes his... actively wants to build a wall bob dylan is <laughs> stiff arming his audience constantly it, it it feels that way, but I I think for at, at least the sixty three to sixty six, the idea is um, to be challenging in a way that's hopefully uh, like inspiring and galvanizing. And then I think after that is this, it's this much more sort of individualistic thing that that um, yeah. So we have the clash for a little while, and then I think the Sex Pistols. Uh, from like the late 60s on. Yeah, that's a good answer. Thank you. Thank you. Dylan. Great answer. Harry, you want to go? Yeah. All right. So is it punk? Cerebral horror. As like a as like a film genre? Film, film genre. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I was just wondering if there was like a death metal band. No, 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 no. Did you see our faces? We were like. Don't know that band. Yeah. yeah really. Um, Cerebral horror. I'm not really that familiar with that genre myself. Yeah, what is cerebral horror? Yeah. Do you want, can you define it, please? <laughs> I would count it, you know, like certainly not like the, the slasher flick falls outside of this range, but anything that's like, you that's know, body kinda, horror, kind of, kind of trippy or, or mind bendy or uh, fucks with the like Suspiria. Sus mm. Yeah, Suspiria. Uh, like um, uh, Japanese film House. Oh. Love House. Um, or, or seen it. Like, um, Think of like Hour of the Wolf or um, a classic example. Yeah. A classic example okay. is like The Shining, yeah. the seventies yeah. Shining. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, mm, I love that movie. Stuff um, like stuff like Lost Highway yeah, or Mulholland it's... Drive by David Lynch mm -hmm. would yep. fall under that. Yeah, I think that that particular film genre is punk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
And is it the Sex Pistols or is it the Clash? The Clash. Yeah. Is it because you you like it better? <laughs> well, that is it the just thing is, yeah. sometimes, sometimes it just comes down to I like it, and therefore yeah. it is the Clash. Yeah. But I also think it's it often challenges orthodoxy mm-hmm. and um, is I, I think typically doing something expansive and thoughtful as opposed to horror movies there are different schools of thought on this but but you know the the exploitative side of of mm-hmm. horror movies i think typically cerebral horror movies are at least aware of it and trying to subvert it or mm-hmm. or do something thoughtful with it and so i think that puts it into clash territory yeah yeah that's uh, yeah, agree. very well reasoned answer oh, thank <laughs> <you>. very well reasoned <laughs> the ride symbol Ooh, yeah <laughs> that's it i don't even want to know if it's the clash <laughs> or the sex pistols I almost i think that's better left to mystery <laughs> all right I'll, I'll 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 leave it alone but we in parnell love the ride symbol yeah so oh, it's the clash, the ride symbol, it's the clash. Yeah. <laughs> uh all right heat starring al pacino and robert de niro michael mann's heat and while you're thinking let me <laughs> My brother for Christmas got me Michael Mann's novel Heat Two, which oh, have is you read the it? No, not I haven't read it yet, but I love the fact because novels when when there's a sequel, it's usually not like you know it's not like Catcher in the Rye <laughs> Two Two. They, yeah. they usually yeah. come up with a new name, and I love how Michael Mann just committed to Heat Two. <laughs> it's I have funny. not read it yet. This, yeah. I can't wait to. It's not. I'm so up. glad you. I'm so glad you raised this point because I feel so shallow about it because I do love the movie Heat. And I, I think every, just about every movie I've seen by Michael Mann I've at least really liked, if not loved. And I'm having a hard time with the fact that it's called Heat 2. <laughs> I'm yeah. struggling with that I'm like, name. you couldn't yeah. come up with, like, even if it, even if they Another made that word. movie. Yeah, like, you couldn't come up with a, like, a new, <laughs> cold. <laughs> yeah. Warm. Yeah. yeah. So, so you know, I, I, Heat's Heat's an amazing movie, but is it punk? Hmm. That's a tough one. What do you think? Yeah. It's. I mean, it's three hours long. That is yeah, already it's not very punk. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds a little prog to me. <laughs> Whoa! Is it prog suddenly? Yeah. <laughs> punk or prog? <laughs> oh my god! All right. So, so <laughs> I, I, I think I can, I can do some logical gymnastics to justify calling it punk, which is since we're using our clash and sex pistols criteria, Clash's second best record is a triple album, which on its face doesn't seem very punk. That's but, true. Sandinista. But they're the clash and I'm not going to second guess the clash. So for the same reason, even though it's a three hour movie, it's sort of interesting because it's a three hour genre movie, right? It's a, it's a, Heist thriller at its sort of most basic, and Michael and a love story at this. its most. Yeah, yeah, and it, so Michael Mann is doing all this sort of interesting stuff that you wouldn't expect to see in this kind of movie. So the experimentalism combined with sort of the energy of the movie and its rewatchability, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll justify calling it punk. Chelsea, yeah, um, I I second that. Yeah, perfect. All right. If I had my if I had my druthers, that would be the whole podcast is just talking about is heat punk. That would be cool. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> we can do a dedicated heat episode. List, listenership would crater. Well, I want to I want to do like a series of like a sub series of episodes that's like 
called like this movie rocks or something where we just talk about movies that rock like that like don't that aren't like don't even have to be like music movies but just like yeah this they this rock. movie is this movie rocks like yeah. either rocks or it doesn't rock and i'll add heat you can to play that, that game next yeah does it rock, rock or doesn't rock <laughs> does it rock yeah does it rock <laughs> all right ben uh what's okay your next one? okay uh the odyssey by homer it's a throwback I love the Odyssey. I've studied it extensively. Three thousand years old. It was me. Longer, right? Five thousand. Personally, I don't think it's. The oral tradition goes back who knows how far. You're gonna have to take the lead on this one. I think. <laughs> what? If this is punk, then what isn't? Well, that's <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. sort of what I'm. What I'm running up yeah. against. I have to draw a like, line. Somewhere. I like the Odyssey. No, I like the all Odyssey. right. No, I love the Odyssey. I've studied it extensively. Like I studied classics in high school and college. I love the Odyssey. I don't think it's punk, but yeah. the Iliad. The Iliad. Now that is punk. There you go. Yeah, I think that's. <laughs> I think that's a perfect. Uh, we found the punk. A perfect part. Way to the Odyssey isn't clear this. enough to to be punk. The Iliad that's is true. a little bit queerer. That guy, the Odyssey. That guy's just a douche. <laughs> He's a he's a drifter. He's like it's like a road movie, the Odyssey. That's not really that punk. Yeah, the sort of aimlessness of it mm-hmm. doesn't really lend itself to a genre that's supposed to be about being sort of. There's nothing punk yeah. about being an evasive father, like an absentee father is not punk. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the Odyssey, that's not true. punk. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> sorry, Homer. Yeah. I'm sorry you had to find out this way. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, um, Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. I love Come Michael Caine. Yeah, we go with punk. <laughs> we go with yeah. punk. Yeah. Batman's butler, always punk. It's the right? first role that comes to mind, huh? Yeah. <laughs> All right. When I think of punk, I think of Arthur Pennyworth. Alfred Pennyworth. Oh, did I say Arthur? Yeah, Alfred Pennyworth. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Nerd police are here. <laughs> uh, actually, his name is Alfred. <laughs> Why? What's the first um, character you're thinking of? What's Michael Caine character? Sort of blanking on his name, but the Italian job. Or... Oh, underrated flick. He's in a lot of those great like late 60s, like extremely British yeah, action movies. Right. I just like him as Alfred. Oh, he's great as Alfred. <laughs> the role he was born to play, honestly. He's also like a top three Ebenezer Scrooge, the Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, it's so true. He brings it. Hmm. Right. Right. Forgot. Michael Caine, punk for sure. Yeah, he's punk. Michael Caine, punk. No, a lot of people know that. <laughs> All right, Ben. What's your What's your? That next was one? pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> Did you add him to the list just for that? I'm actively no. debating whether or not to try no, it. My 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 list was like my list was truly just like random things that popped into my head yesterday when oh, Ben nice. texted me this idea, and I was like, "Oh yeah, great! I'll come up with a few random ass things." <laughs> you were doing. You happened to be doing your Michael Caine impression <laughs> at the time at work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a big hit. <laughs> Okay, song titles that are also the band name and also the album title. Are you making fun of us? No, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. Punk in theory. The example that comes to mind, unfortunately, is Bad Company, which is not punk. Oh. 
but certainly finding a way to put your band's name in the title punk i like it mm. <laughs> it's punk it's punk gavel and see and and the clash in that case because they have that song this is radio clash mm. so they in fact did this wow so it's the clash style yeah, punk too you know <laughs> i don't know who's arguing with the clash but it's not me it's true an argument you will lose. That's right. Uh, next up for me is Leonard Cohen. Mm. Punk. I think all any right. poet yeah. is punk. Yes. Definitionally. Yeah. Uh, all right. Then follow up for Ben. Rupi Kuar. Damn it, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah. You've trapped me in my own. Don't make a prison of my own logic. Generalized <laughs> statements around me. <laughs> and I'm not, you know. No, mean. no shade to her, but she's not punk. And no, if, if she like, actually no, if she she is punk, she's she sex, she's Sex Pistols. Yes, she, if she, if yeah. she is, she's definitely <laughs> Sex Pistols. Where it's you know like wow. poetry for like social media consumption. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know so many people who who shit on her, but I'm like, I I wish I could make a bunch of money off of like posting little like poems that fit within one Instagram post. Yeah. You make you the know. text really, really small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With a you with like a crude little sketch at the bottom right. of like a flower. And let's see Sid Vicious do that. <laughs> I honestly wow. I bet I bet actually maybe not Sid, but maybe John Lydon probably had like a, a poetry journal with his little crude drawings. Dear diary, today I was very mad at the Queen. If you, if you, if you read Leonard Cohen books of poetry, that's what like he has. He has like little drawings in there. Leonard Cohen's also like, I mean, first of all, his his work was amazing, and then secondly, I mean, he started making records in like his late thirties. Yeah, I think the so first one came of... out when he was thirty three, and I'm like, you know, it gives me hope as someone who's about to turn thirty two. I'm like, cool. All right, it's you know, it's never too late. Yeah, I mean, a- anyone that you can look to and say, oh, that person proves that this perhaps daunting thing is possible. Um, you know, that's that's punk. Yeah, punk knows no age. Punk is not just for the young. Precisely. Speaking of age, the Old Testament. Incredible segue, Ben. Wow. Speaking of people overcoming things, the Old Testament. <laughs> Chad is uh, more familiar than I, so I will let him answer. I will say generally, uh, the way the the Bible is so often uh, perversely so used often. to persecute, <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll yeah. go with not punk. Hmm. I yeah. saw where you were going there. I was excited. I have I have like similar reasoning where it's like certainly not like the the way like you said the way the Bible has been used to justify like horrendous deeds is that's very not punk there are some moments in the old testament though that are pretty fucking sweet <laughs> that are that, that's the thing about the old testament that there are moments of punk in the old in, in the old mm-hmm. testament but yeah so they like there are metal mo- when you are not metal punk moments that's a different game different game yeah entirely. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> i don't want to play that game <laughs> or like any any biblical description of an angel like that biblically accurate those yeah uh but yeah, those moments are really cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's going into Prague territory. 
That's just yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I'm so glad we got to. Like, I'm so glad we got a, a Bible verse <laughs> or a Bible passage read in this episode. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> okay, Harry, I think it's your turn. Uh, all right, this is my my last one, but cryptids, punk. I, I don't know them. Oh, so like, uh, like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness or monster, like Mothman, oh, or, yeah. yeah, Chupacabra, uh, a catch-all uh, name for these creatures. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. The Abominable I was literally Snowman. thinking it was a band. <laughs> it, I'm sure there's a band. Called there's Cryptid. got to yeah. be a band called. Oh yeah, definitely. Cryptid, cryptids, and they're probably a punk band. But yeah, I hope so. I think we're, we're talking think, about the actual, yeah. uh, the actual uh, beings the, that the yeah, actual yeah, beings yes, that yeah. exist. Yeah. Yeah. Loch Ness Monster is real. Um, yes, so punk for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then my last one is the Barbie movie directed by Greta Gerwig. Punk as fuck. Oh, so, so fucking. I'm punk. so excited about it. And that's gonna that... that's gonna have that communal feel, mm-hmm. like you were describing, because like people and their friends are gonna go out and that for droves. They're gonna make nights out of it. Like it's gonna be one of those movies, like. Ben, you want to go see it in like a shirt and tie? Get some nice, some fancy yes. clothes on. It's like, yeah, me and the boys going to see the Barbie movie. I'm so well, excited. It comes out the day before my birthday, and that is my birthday plan. Oh, hell yeah. Well, happy, mm-hmm. happy early B day. Thank you. Yeah, I'm re- it's the trailer is fantastic. It's true. I love the 2001 reference, um, which was idea. spotted right away, but. So funny! I can't. I can't wait. Love Ryan it's punk. Gosling. Yeah, and it punk. is the Sex Pistols, or is it the Clash? I feel like it's. Well, I was saying it was the Clash because of the communal aspect. I was gonna say it's it's as brash as a Sex Pistols attitude. Mm. Yeah, it's got it's got a bit of the sort it's of bright pink kind of like notice. It's, it's loud and in your visually Sex Pistols. Yes, spiritually the Clash. Right, so it has, some of that, it has some of that like postmodernism and irony right. that I might associate with the Sex Pistols first, but I think there's enough of that communal, like everyone can have fun with this, you know, from whatever angle they want to, mm-hmm. um, feels very clash to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I hope it rules. It looks like it's going to rule. It yeah. looks like it'll be a fun time. Definitely. Yeah. Would you ever contribute a song to the Barbie movie soundtrack? Yeah, yeah, that'd be so. fun. <laughs> that'd be cool. It's probably too late. <laughs> probably there'll be a sequel, right? We'll never know. Barbie yeah, too. Be a sequel. Yeah, there's a punk Barbie. <laughs> that'd be cool. Bar- uh, Barbie yeah, two, the so. Michael Mann's novelization of the of what would be yep. the Barbie two movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Barbie two. What if Heat two is just Barbie two? That would be good. What if, what if he the most, the most ambitious crossover? Yeah, <laughs> right. move over MCU. <laughs> Although, honestly, think of like a heist movie that's all that's different like, Barbies. Barbie yeah. heist, yeah. yeah. Because usually heist movies sort of operate on the, all right. We have this specialist who knows mm-hmm. how to like break down yeah. the security yeah. systems. That is a have, great like, idea. The getaway drivers. You can have like the Barbie car. Like yeah. that, I think um, like. Oh sports gosh. car that Barbie has. Mm-hmm. This is actually a yeah. really good idea. This yeah, is this is a fantastic this idea. Really, let's idea. mail this to yet, ourselves so that we yet have another <laughs> yet another fantastic hypothetical movie that would be more interesting than most of the shit 
that Hollywood's turning out now. That like, Hollywood's like there's been so many on this show that are just like this is this is would be gold. How are they not making this movie? This is it. I mean, this is one of those movie ideas that would be huge because it could be appreciated on like a few different levels and you know whether you're in on the joke but it's also just fun in and of itself mm-hmm. oh yeah barbie heist movie well Love like it. what if we took ryan gosling from the good guys and sort of combined that with the barbie movie would oh it work? yes the nice guys yes the nice guys oh i always do that yeah I really hope that that's the energy he brings to it, yeah. honestly, because yeah. that is one of the funniest yeah. characters. Like a yeah. sniveling, whimpering kind of like yeah. <laughs> wimpy what if guy. That's his, his but version. just, just like nice enough and sincere enough when it matters that mm-hmm. he's not detestable. <laughs> right. Hmm. Who knows? But yeah, Barbie is punk. Yes. Sure. Hell yeah. Uh, hard agree. I think. Across the board. That's the final word on the subject. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Harry signing off. Thank you to Perennial. Thank you to Ben for co hosting. Thank you to Ethan for the mixing and mastering. Thank you to everyone at Alston Pudding. Thank you to everyone who listened. And that's the end of lists of of who's going to get thanked. I have no one else to thank. On our next episode, it'll either be a preview of In Between Days, the festival uh, in August that's going to be in Quincy at Veterans Memorial Stadium, or it's going to be Sapotnik, a Somerville folk, let's call them folk rock. They, they're kind of genre expansive, but I think folk rock is a, is a safe one-off label. But they're, they're good fun. Um, just, just very, very sweet, pleasant. You make kind of band that makes you feel feel happy inside when you listen to them. So it's going to be one of those two, in between days or Sapatnik. I guess you'll have to wait till another episode comes out and see to see. All right, thanks, Jagweeds. Bye.